morning and welcome. Welcome to Alger Assembly of God. We welcome you to the beginning of a brand new series. We were in our past series for a number of weeks. We are beginning a brand new series on a, a character in the Bible. In this series, we're going to be exploring a man fed by birds. In this story, we're going to be exploring one man who took on a crowd of 450 and was victorious. In this series, we will be exploring a man who simply did not die. In this series, we'll explore the life and ministry of the prophet Elijah. Elijah is one of two individuals who did not die, Enoch was one as well from the book of Genesis. Elijah, which we'll see further in our study and in our series, was transported directly to heaven in a chariot of fire. It was prophesied that the forerunner of Jesus Christ would come in the spirit of Elijah. Elijah, you might remember, appeared with Moses and Jesus then on the Mount of Transfiguration in the New Testament. James referred to Elijah as a man of prayer that accomplished much. So there's quite a bit to say about this prophet by the name of Elijah. In fact, there's another one with a very similar name, Elisha. Now, we'll get to Elisha towards the end as we see Elijah and the mantle and passing that torch, if you would, over to Elisha. But we're going to be looking primarily in the book of 1 Kings. There's a number of chapters that contain some of the accounts of what God has done through Elijah. So I invite you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. As we'll read our text for this morning, it's all of one verse. All of one verse. We'll put it on the screen for you. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. This is the the kickoff to the series about Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. It says this, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, except at my word. One verse of Scripture, we'll spend some time kind of digging into this and and looking at a little bit of an introduction to the prophet Elijah. Let me read this to you in a different version or translation. This is in, in the message translation. The message reads like this. And then this happened. Elijah the Tishbite, from among the settlers of Gilead, confronted Ahab. As surely as God lives, the God of Israel before whom I stand in obedient service, the next years are going to see a total drought, not a drop of dew or rain unless I say otherwise." Both of these particular versions, not not every single translation reads this way, but in both of these, it reads like this, Before whom I stand. Elijah was declaring to Ahab, who is the king, the leader of this nation, it is God. God is the one that I stand before. So this morning, in in the balance of our time, here's the main thought that we're going to be seeing is this. Godly leaders 
stand for God. Let me say that one more time. Godly leaders stand for God. I want you to help me out and, and repeat it good and loud. You ready? Godly leaders stand for God. Now, if you're in here, you're taking notes, you're a man, I want you to read and write, godly men stand for God. If you're a woman in here and you're taking notes, put that in, make it a little more personal. Godly women stand for God. As a young person, as a young adult, right in here, young people, young adults, godly young people, godly young adults will stand for God. That's exactly what Elijah stated in this intro verse to the rest of these chapters, to the rest of these biblical accounts. Godly leaders. That's, that's how we'll kind of sum it up. You and I as godly individuals, godly leaders stand for God. Here's thought number one. Godly leaders stand for God even in a challenging culture. Even in a challenging culture. We might look at today's day and age, and certainly it can be a challenging culture. You'd probably agree with that. You look around at society, you look around at culture, and whatever it is from entertainment to politics and otherwise, this is a challenging, difficult culture, if you would, to be alive. And so sometimes we, we look back to the Word of God and we don't see technology we don't see the electricity. We don't see some of the conveniences that we have today. And so sometimes people look to the Word of God and say, Wow, this is so different from today. Yes, but no. Certainly in Bible days, they did not have all of the uh, inventions and things that we are afforded with today. But when it comes to culture, we look around and we see a challenging, we look around, we see a sinful culture. That's exactly the culture that Elijah was brought to speak to and declare those words of the Lord. So uh, let's kind of rewind and let's take the next few moments, next few minutes and kind of rewind, give a brief history lesson up until this point. So you take the Word of God, and you know, you flip it to the beginning, and you see Genesis. God creates what? God created it all. God creates the heavens and the earth. God creates Adam and Eve. And we see there's quite a few then individuals that follow after Adam and Eve. There's Noah that's in there, and there's Abraham, right? We've got a song about Abraham. You can even do the motions. Many of you know it, right? Father Abraham had many sons, you know. Right arm, left arm, all that. Adam didn't get a song. Noah didn't get a song with, with motions quite like that, although he, he built the arky arky and came in two by two and all that. But Father Abraham, we, we see Father Abraham had many sons, one of whom was Isaac, the son of the promise, remember? From Sarah, who was an older woman, Abraham was 100. Sarah was 90 years old. And Isaac was born. To Isaac was born Esau and Jacob. Jacob was later named Israel. 
And so from Jacob or Israel, we get the Israelites. Remember how they made their way into Egypt? One of the sons was, well, it was Joseph. And he had some dreams, and he told his brothers, and they didn't like it. They sold him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt. God blessed. He ended up being right underneath the leader. The famine was coming. God used him to guide and oversee the surplus, and lo and behold, the family came back. God brings this family then into Egypt as their families begin to grow and, have, and multiply with children. These individuals they called the Israelites, they were, the Egyptians felt they were overrun with them. So what did they do? They put them into slavery for many years. They called out to God. And what did God do? God, God raised up a deliverer, the name of Moses. We talked about Moses just a, a few weeks ago. Someone that you might not think, someone who Moses himself said, I'm not sure that I can do this, and God chose to use him. To help deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. They wander in the desert, wander in the wilderness, and God brings them into the promised land through Joshua. After Joshua, we see the book of Judges, leadership by leaders that God had raised up for a particular time and purpose. Now, Judges, it's a little bit of a discouraging book because it's this cycle of sin. You read the book of Judges, and you see that God blessed. And when God blessed, the people turned away from God. So God withdrew the blessing. God allowed other nations to come in and conquer. Then the people suffered. And what happened? The people called out, cried out to God. God, in his grace and mercy, would then send a deliverer, send a judge to deliver them from the hand of the oppressors. And there would be peace, and there would be blessing. And they'd forget about God. And that cycle would begin all over again. We go through the book of Judges. And after all of the Judges, then what happens? Remember that the people, the Israelites, call out and cry out for a what? A king. We want to be like all these other nations. They've got a king. They've got this figurehead. They've got this individual that will lead them into battle. So God gives them a king. First king was Saul. Following Saul, David. Following David, Solomon. And there was incredible blessing and provision throughout these years and decades of leadership. David, the man after God's own heart, who certainly failed and fell and sinned. His son Solomon, wisest of them all, and yet in the midst of that, his heart led him astray to many, 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 did I say many, 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 many wives of all kinds of neighboring nations and backgrounds. Following Solomon, civil war breaks out. Northern tribes form their own kingdom. It's called Israel. Southern tribes form theirs. It's Judah. So you've got the northern kingdom, southern kingdom. And now you've got kings in both. Instead of this united nation... It's splintered, it's split, right? King after king after king, and you can read through in many of these. Kings and chronicles. Unfortunately, many of them were godless, sinful, 
and wicked kings who led the people of Israel, people of Judah, this, this nation that God had his hand upon, led them astray, led them away from God. God allowed them to be conquered by many neighboring lands and nations, taking into exile. And as God had raised up judges, God later begins to raise up these prophets to speak to, to preach, to teach God's word and God's voice to his people. So we see a lot of the Old Testament are books of prophets, major prophets, minor prophets. There's a lot of prophets that God has raised up to speak his word to his people. One of those individuals, one of those prophets God is raising up is identified, introduced right here, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Elijah, God is using Elijah, sending him to speak to the northern kingdom. So this particular confrontation, we read that he approaches Ahab. He approaches the king, the capital city there in Samaria in the northern kingdom. Ahab is the seventh and current king of the northern kingdom. And he married a foreigner, not an Israelite. He married a foreigner by the name of... Jezebel. That, that word, that name, has transcended time and history to this day and carries quite a lot of weight behind the word. Ahab and Jezebel, both wicked, both sinful, inciting God's anger more than any previous king. King Ahab and Jezebel promoted the worship of of Baal, false religion, false God, filthy, perverted, wicked, sinful religion. Here's the thing. When it comes to sin, sin can often kind of sneak up on you, can't it? Kind of sneaky, kind of clever, and kind of nudges you away from how we ought to go, how we ought to live. We see God's hand of blessing upon the people of Israel, upon the formation of Israel. And yet time and time and time again, they veer off course. Sin does that to you. Sin does that to me. So this is, this is the king, this wicked, sinful king Ahab, his wife Jezebel, and, and following in this line of many other wicked and sinful kings in a land and in a culture who has experienced the blessings of God, has experienced the miracles of God, and yet has chosen to turn away from God. Sound familiar? So what we see is... Here is Elijah. He is called to be a voice. He is called to declare the word of God. He is called, and Elijah says, I'm going to stand before God, even in the midst of a challenging culture. Godly leaders, godly men, godly women, godly young people will stand for God, even in a challenging culture. J. Oswald Sanders writes this about Elijah. Elijah appeared at zero hour in Israel's history. 
Like a meteor, he flashed across the inky blackness of Israel's spiritual night. What's he saying? Israel was in a mess. The culture was a challenge. The culture was atrocious. And in the midst of that, God's raising up a man to stand strong for him. First challenge for you and I is this, to be a, a godly man, to be a godly woman, to be a godly young person, we must be ready and willing to stand for God, even in a challenging culture. The second, godly leaders will stand for God, even though they might be unknown. We read this verse in the New King James Version, it simply says, and Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead. From the message as we read that, it, it simply said this, and then this happened. Isn't that kind of an abrupt way to introduce a man of God, a prophet? If you look at the chapter before and the chapter before, what do you see? You see sin and depravity and wickedness. And then this happened. You see a land that is far and away from God. And Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah is simply dropped into our text, chapter 17, verse 1. And what do we know about Elijah? Not much. We don't, any, we don't know anything about his parents we don't know anything about his early years. In fact, there's not much about the place where he was born. He says, Elijah the Tishbite. That means he would be from a place called Tishbe. Now, archaeologists, scholars whose full-time job it is to study, look at Scripture, and look at all the details and the minutia of everything contained in the Word of God... There's disagreement as to really what that means. And really, where is he from? He simply dropped into the page. This doesn't seem to be one of these huge cities that everybody knows where this was from. Not much is said about Elijah. We don't know the tribe that he belonged to. There's 12 tribes of Israel. You've heard many of them being mentioned. We talk about Jesus being the lion of the tribe of Judah. Or we, we looked a few weeks ago, we mentioned about Gideon and how he, he said he was the, the least in his tribe. Oh, we don't know which of those 12 tribes Elijah's from. God simply selects him and places him at this point in time to stand for him even though he might be unknown. Nothing said about his, his mentors. Nothing said about his schooling. What's interesting, there's, there's also not any, any mention of his calling. Now later in the text, and we'll cover it in a future date, we see that transition from Elijah to Elisha, and we see some of that interaction of God calling and some of that process. What do we see with Elijah and Elijah the Tishbite? He's there. He's introduced. He's mentioned. He's brought into our text. 
don't know about his calling. We don't know about any prophetic words or ministry that, that God had used him up until this point. There's nothing else recorded prior to this. It simply states, and Elijah. We know that God has called him to stand up against this current culture of sin and wickedness. Now, much like we talked about just a a couple of weeks ago as we were closing out our why series, why would God use me? We saw that God often uses some that are kind of surprising. We looked at Gideon, Moses, Peter, David, individuals who had messed up, individuals who didn't seem like maybe they had it all together. Gideon said, I I can't do it. Moses said, I can't do it. Many times, God nudges you, and the first thing is to look around and say, well, certainly, God would use so-and-so because they're so much better at this than I am. But God is nudging Elijah. It doesn't seem that he's from this incredibly large city with this incredible schooling and this incredible background. We don't know much about him. He's rather unknown, but God has his hand on Elijah. He's ready to stand up in a challenging culture. He's ready to stand up even though he might be unknown. Many times, God chooses and selects and uses individuals we might not expect. Look in the New Testament. There's a number of the apostles who were chosen and selected. Here in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says this. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Did you catch some of those adjectives? They talked about being uneducated and untrained, and yet these are the individuals called and selected of Jesus to be disciples and followers and apostles Maybe they were untrained. Maybe they were uneducated. But what was the general consensus? Wow. They have been with Jesus. Though they might have been unknown, they were with Jesus. Paul writes about this, some of the foundation of the early church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and following. He says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, that no one may boast before him. You read over that. What's Paul saying? Listen, not too many were wise, not too many were influential, not really of noble birth. That's what we weren't. It says God chose the foolish, the weak, the lowly, and the despised. Often the 
unexpected and the unknown, and yet God is placing his hand upon those individuals to stand up and to stand strong for God. That's what he was doing here with Elijah. Now, that that might hit home a little bit to us because we're here worshiping in the metropolis of Alger, Ohio. In a world setting, now, I I might be wrong. I, I am quite often. So I could be wrong on this, but in a world setting, I don't think Alger has the same worldwide recognition as mm, London, Paris, Tokyo. I mean, those are large, well-known metropolitan cities worldwide. Let's go, let's go in the United States. I could be wrong. I don't think that Alger rolls off the tongue quite like New York City or Los Angeles or Chicago. We could could start naming a whole bunch probably before we get to Alger. Okay, let's just think about Ohio. Alger is probably, I could be wrong, probably not up there with the Clevelands, Columbus, Cincinnati, those are some of the larger cities in Ohio. Even our, in our immediate area, our immediate region, our immediate uh, nearby counties, it might not be on the same level as county seats or some other larger cities. And yet, does God have a plan for Alger Assembly of God Alger, Ohio, whether you live in Alger, Ada, McGuffey, Herod, Kenton, Lima, etc., yes. Like Elijah, we are called to stand for God, even in a challenging culture. Like Elijah, we are called to stand for God, even when we might be unknown. Thirdly, godly leaders stand for God even when others don't. In our text, what do we see? We see Elijah, he's standing for God in the midst of this wicked, sinful culture. We see Elijah standing for God, he's kind of out of nowhere. Who do we see him standing before speaking to? Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab. He was declaring God's word to the king, to the leader. And this was a wicked, evil, sinful king who certainly was not standing for God. Elijah was standing for God even when others don't. Facing a sinful leader in Ahab, facing a false religion of Baal. Baal was the Canaanite god of fertility, seen in the thunderheads and in the rain that made things grow. So what was Elijah's message? No rain, no dew. 
He's declaring God had power and authority over Baal. Now, those who would worship Baal, they would, they would try to get Baal's attention. You know one of the things that they would do to try to get Baal's attention? Sacrifice their children on the altars. Doesn't that sound like a lovely thing to do? This is Ahab, Ahab and Jezebel supporting, heading up, leading Baal worship, some of which included offering children as sacrifices, hoping to please and honor Baal so that he would respond to them. Basically, if you were a Baal follower, a Baal worshiper, you would just about break every single one of God's commandments. Completely, diametrically opposed to God. So God is raising up Elijah, this man seemingly out of nowhere, to stand in a culture of sin, to stand up to individuals who do not believe, do not trust in the one true God. That phrase, Elijah said, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. Elijah's realizing there's only one person I've got to please. I might be standing before King Ahab, but I've got to please and live for and honor God. He said, it's before whom I stand. God before whom I stand. Who's going to stand for God even if others didn't? To stand before God, it meant he was a committed servant of the Lord. He was ready for the directions that God had for him. He wasn't afraid of showing his allegiance, that he stood for God. He had the courage, even if that meant being in the minority. You know, sometimes, as we stand for God, as we stand for his word, as we stand for what he declares, there's consequences. Maybe you've seen, maybe you've experienced, maybe we, we read about consequences. People being ostracized, walking alone, living alone, being scorned, being ridiculed, mistreated, persecuted, ignored, criticized, made fun of. Sometimes when you choose to stand for God, the world, those that are against God, will push you off to the side. In spite of those things, our witness, our stand for God is needed more than ever before. Don't let someone else keep you from standing for God. There's a, a lot of great connections, a lot of great relationships, a lot of great friendships, a lot of great things that are available to us in this world. Will it keep us from standing for God? Because sometimes when we declare, when we stand up for him, that comes into contact and comes into opposition with those who don't stand for God. Elijah stood before Ahab. And he declared he was standing for God. Family, friends, co-workers, bosses, neighbors, classmates, 
Don't let those around us keep us from standing for God. Godly men are going to stand for God even when others don't. Godly women are going to stand up for God even when others don't. Godly young adults and godly young people will stand for God even when others don't. That's what we see from Elijah. Finally this morning, godly leaders stand for God even when the message isn't popular. What was Elijah's message? He stands before the king. He says, I'm standing here. It's before God I stand. And what's the message he declares? There shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Elijah boldly confronts King Ahab with a very unpopular message. He boldly pronounced this devastating judgment against the nation that a drought was coming. It was a a very unpopular message. This is an agricultural society and culture. They rely upon what? Sunshine and rain. Growing crops. And Elijah comes out with a very unpopular message that says, no rain, not even dew. He was going to stand for God even though the message was unpopular. Can you imagine standing before this wicked, sinful King Ahab and who knows who else might have been around, but being bold and courageous to stand and declare God's word? Many times, not a popular thing. He was there to pronounce consequences for the life of sin. Very, very much like in the New Testament, John the Baptist, he denounced Herod for taking his brother's wife. Here, Elijah is boldly declaring consequences for worshiping other gods. Baal was the god of the harvest, the god of rain. He's saying, listen, One true God is far superior. There will not be rain. There will not be dew. He's basically calling them into a showdown. Now, a little bit later in our series, we'll get into that showdown. Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Powerful account in God's word. All of of this this groundwork is being laid here just in verse 1 of our text. We read this, it doesn't seem too far off from today's culture, does it? God's looking for godly men, godly women, godly young people who will stand for him in a challenging culture, who stand for him even though they might not be known, who will stand for him even if other people don't. And who will stand for him even when the message is not popular. And if you look at the culture and you look at the society, standing for God and his truth is becoming what? More and more unpopular. 
I'll give you two examples. There's, there's a whole host of them. One, hot-button issue topic of abortion. Abortion in today's day and age and culture is seemingly being equated with not just choice, it's just called health care. The murdering of an innocent child growing in the womb. My choice to do with it as I please. It's health care. We don't want to deny people health care. That's a much better word than murder of a child. Doesn't seem so far off from what the people of Baal were doing, does it? Another quick hot-button topic, probably the topic of the day, homosexuality, LGBTQ plus and following. Today's day, today's culture, today's society increasingly is going against God, going against His Word, going against the teachings of Scripture to where more and more and more people are going against the clear teaching of a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. And it's not just individuals, more and more individuals, it's ministers and denominations who will argue God loves all and love is love and and yes, God does love all. But God is clear in his word about a husband and a wife, about a man and a woman. That acceptance for homosexuality and, and everything that goes with that is increasingly more popular. And those who stand firm on a biblical understanding, a biblical text is becoming more and more and more unpopular. What's God called us to do? Has God called us to be popular? Or has God called us to be true to his word? You know, the, the easy thing for Elijah, God brings Elijah out of nothing, drops him into the situation, sends him to King Ahab. The easiest thing would have been to kind of, you know, Pat King Ahab on the head, kind of, uh, you know, help out his ego a little bit, tell him what an incredible king he was, what a great job he's doing, and hey, by the way, is there some way I can help you in all this Baal worship? That would have been the easy thing, right? That would have been the accepted thing. That's not what he'd called Elijah to do. Elijah was here to stand, even if no one else would, Elijah was called to stand firm upon the word of God, even if it was unpopular. Declaring no rain, declaring no dew, incredibly unpopular. But that was God's word to be declared. This morning, if we're to be godly leaders, if we're to be Godly men, godly women, godly young people who will follow after God, have a heart for God. We're going to stand for him even in the midst of a challenging culture. It's more challenging and complex every day. 
We're going to be standing for God, even though we might be unknown. You ever see? It's the celebrity endorsement that really gets things moving. You might have a nobody on the situation has great reason and great insight, but you have a celebrity come along who maybe doesn't know all of the details, but they put their stamp of approval, and man, that thing just starts rolling. God's called us to stand for him even if we're unknown. God's called us to stand for him even when others don't. You can mark it down. In our culture, in our society, we're going to be faced more and more with people who will not stand for and serve God. Yet we're called to stand. Stand true to him. Stand true to his word. And stand for God even when the message, even what he's declared, even when his word is not popular. 